Originally spelled as two words, Viet and Nam, the Socialist Republic of Vietnam is the second largest exporter of coffee in the world. Vietnam is home to the Vietnamese language, which contains the highest amount of accent marks than any other written language. The Vietnamese language is also very unique from other languages in Southeast Asia, as their language has received a lot of influence from French due to the French colonization. Learning from my friend Viet about Vietnam was so interesting. He has a unique global perspective as he has lived in and out of Vietnam for his whole life. He brought up facts about the country's economic growth after conflicts of war, and we discussed their national motto, which translates into English, independence, peace, and happiness. He pointed out that this is the most peaceful time in Vietnam's history, and they have not engaged in any war in the last 40 years. He shared his perspective that people should look at conflict as temporary in order to find resolutions and move forward towards peace. We spoke about one of my brother's favorite dishes, pho, which is very common to eat in the morning, a delicious broth with noodles and a choice of meat. I found it really interesting that Viet brought up the conflict within the cultural identity of whether they wanted to allow themselves to become more westernized as the country continues to develop. To what extent do we want to like westernize as a culture? Because ever since the market reforms happened and more Western companies from the US, South Korea, Japan, all over the world started entering into Vietnam and started starting business there, there's been a large shift in the younger generations to act more like a Western society. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Evan Worldwide. On this podcast, I'm going to take you on a journey around the world. You will hear young people's perspectives on culture, conflict, and cuisine. So let's go. My name is Viet. I'm a citizen of Vietnam, and I am 18 years old. Would you say that there's a lot of conflict in Vietnam? Now? Well, historically, yes. Throughout the entire 20th century, Vietnam has been more or less in a constant state of conflict. For the first 50 years, we were a French colony, and so we had to uh, participate in a lot of you know, the conflicts that France was a part of, being World War I and World War II. World War II, uh, Vietnam was actually a front line as we had to fight the Japanese. And then during the latter half of the 20th century, you have a lot of the Indochina War. So the independence war of Vietnam from France, the civil war with South Vietnam, better known as the Vietnam War to outsiders or to the United States. And then um, during the late 70s, there was a war against China and Cambodia simultaneously. Uh, right now, though, Vietnam is supposed to be living in its most peaceful time. There hasn't been a war since the 80s. Wow. So like those are like a pretty decent amount of wars like in the 20th century. So just to like clarify, it was a French colony. When did France colonize Vietnam? I believe the colonial period for French Indochina started sometime in the mid 19th century, I think. Mid 19th century. So okay. Vietnam's been a colony for at least 100 years. Yeah. Oh, wow. And would you say, like, because of that, there's been a lot of French influence into Vietnamese culture? Uh, I mean, we have some loan words from French, like our word for cake, which we never had before, is French, gâteau. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's but um, this, this applies more to South Vietnam, where there was more French influence and where more French colonials lived. There's a lot of uh, it, the infrastructure there. A lot of the architecture is more Mediterranean style. Ah, okay. So Hanoi is in the northern part of Vietnam or in the southern part? Yeah, Hanoi would be in the north. And along with Ho Chi Minh City, or is that in the south also? Ho Chi Minh City or Saigon is in the south. You could think of it this way. Uh, Hanoi is in the very northern part of Vietnam. It's the capital. Mm-hmm. And Saigon, which we, or Ho Chi Minh City, which was the former capital of the south Vietnam, is in the, is in the very south. It's only a little bit. Oh, okay, okay. Because of the French colonization, those two places are like extremely different. Yeah, uh, Hanoi will look more, will have more of a Chinese influence to it because it's closer to the Chinese mainland culturally. Like a lot of the cultural buildings will look more uh, Sino. And then, yeah, South Vietnam, you'll see a lot more French European architecture. 
Although in general, by this point, both cities have been in, have industrialized and modernized to the point that it will look fair. They will look fairly similar once you go deeper into the center. Wow, that's very cool. And do you think that them becoming so similar? Do you think that's wrong? As that might result in combining cultures? Well, this is my own personal view because I grew up here in Russia. I don't really actually care about the multiculturalism. If anything, I. I would see that as a good thing because then people are more culturally connected from north and south, and that would somewhat repair the divides that are still somewhat lingering since the Vietnam War.、Absolutely. But at the same time, it's like it's because of that that the South has a bit of a unique like culture, architecture, the way people act there could be a bit different to what you see in the North, and I believe that to be something worth maintaining at least. And You know, speaking about like the relations between the north and the south of Vietnam, have Vietnamese people from the north and south become more friendly w- with each other, or are they still not on really good terms? I mean, since the reunification, there was a period of、um, essentially what's referred to as reeducation, where a lot of the more dissident parts of southern Vietnamese society were either perished or expelled from the country, which is why. The- In the United States, there's a large Vietnamese、uh, minority group that left during the Vietnam War, and other otherwise after those like initial that initial time period where the Southern Vietnamese government was restructured to be more fitting with、uh, reunified states. Yeah, things have for the most part calmed down. Things are fine now. Yeah. To be completely honest, it seems like there's not many conflicts in Vietnam like right now. Well, I mean that depends. If we're talking about like actual armed conflicts, then no. But what about like the sea thing? Yeah.、Uh, there's also like lingering,、uh, not really conflicts, but tensions with our neighbors, such as Cambodia and Laos. Laos because they were in a major civil war for a while, and because、uh, the Vietnamese government helped sponsor the communist government in Laos there. And with Cambodia, well, yeah, we were in a war with them only forty years ago. Yeah, yeah, I remember you were talking about that. You know, you were saying like Indo-Chinese War, war with Cambodia. They're all referred to as the Indo-Chinese Wars. The first one is the Independence War from France. That is when、okay. the communist government was established in the north. The second Indo-China War is the American War or the Vietnam War. Yeah, that's the one where we fought the South Vietnamese and the Americans intervened. And the third Indochina war is simultaneously the war with Cambodia and the war with China. Okay, so the war with Cambodia and China, and then the Vietnam War, American War, and then the war for independence. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Have these aftermaths of war are they still visible in today's society in Vietnam? Well, in terms of society. No, not really. It's like I mean, yeah, the generation that grew up during the war and some people that even fought the war—they're still there. But like, I mean, there hasn't been a major war for forty years. It's more—it's like it's similar to how you would say、uh, it's like an American veteran for World War Two. I mean, yeah, sure, they're still around, a lot of them, but I don't think any of them really care about any of the geopolitical relations between the U.S. and other European states now. Because the war has been over for decades now,、mm-hmm. so、yes, that kind of thing. gotcha. I understand that the Vietnam War. I guess the American War is an important topic for me, as my dad's dad, my grandfather, fought in that war, and he and he told my dad so many stories about it, and how the media really like in the media. There's a lot of misconceptions about what really happened during the Vietnam War, and like the way that it was portrayed, and like the fighting tactics that the U.S. and Viet and South Vietnam and Northern Vietnam did, which I found to be extremely interesting and eye-opening. Then I guess like. In regards to conflict, is there any economical conflict that you know of? Well, okay, economics. Yeah, the South China Sea. It's a large maritime dispute about how the maritime borders of Vietnam, China, and a large number of other Southeast Asian states are supposed to look like. And even though there have been there has been a bit of like armed conflict in that, it's mostly economic, and all the countries trying to figure out who owns what and whatnot. But as for economic conflicts, ah.、Uh, Well, actually, I mean, this is my own personal experience. But looking, going back to Vietnam, I noticed that ever, essentially ever since the Vietnamese economy adopted some capitalist methods, so introduced market-oriented reforms during the late '80s, I think there has been a widening gap between you know the poor in the country and a,、mm-hmm. lo- a largely increasing number of 
rich and middle class people. Uh, how do I put it? It's like, I mean, I guess it would be something you normally see in a country that's begun to industrialize properly and modernize. You're going to see those kind of shifts. You could consider that to be some form of conflict or tension. Well, talking about this, does this like division between the classes like result in any classism or like discrimination towards someone's status? The thing is that this problem has only started to like materialize like now in the re- in the recent time frame. So at the moment, a lot of the people who are on top now, I mean, they kind of deserve it to uh, to be there, and a lot of the people in Vietnam don't really care that there's a large population of rich people. The fact that you can even say that there's a rich Vietnamese person is really like a level of patriotism for some people there. But at the same time, the longer that this uh, issue goes, uh, eventually there's going to be, there is going to be a level of classism that develops because um, it's hard to explain. It's like, do you know the term Nova Rich? Nova Rich? Yeah. Well, it sounds like new rich. Yeah, new rich. It comes from a French word. It was used to describe Japanese businessmen who became rich during its economic boom boom after World War II. And that's kind of the stage we're going through. All the rich people right now, they're essentially still no they're still considered nova rich. I believe that like proper classism can only begin after this period of nova rich when you start to see like a solidified upper class uh, upper and like a business owning class in Vietnam. All right. So you think that like there's in Vietnam, like it's becoming more of a prosperous country, like right now, like it's going through it's a, and it's a, it's in a transition period. Yeah. That's really cool. Okay. So the next question, what social issues are most prevalent in Vietnam? What social issues? Well, for one, the main one I, I can see is actually kind of similar to what people in South Korea, Taiwan, and Japan are sort of dealing with, well, maybe it's more to an extent in Vietnam, but uh, to what extent do we want to like westernize as a culture? Because ever since the market reforms happened and more Western companies from the US, South Korea, Japan, all over the world started entering into Vietnam and started starting business there, there's been a large shift in the younger generations to act more like a Western society. That tr- there's that modernizing Europe. Uh, Europeanizing trends among our y- younger generation. That's created a bit of a issue because at this point, like, how do we want to see our identity? Are we a proper East Asian country, or are we going? To, are we trying to move forward into something more Western, like South Korea or Japan? That's really cool or like interesting to talk about because does this mean that like these businesses that are coming to Vietnam are they going there to you know tax reasons and like because. I guess maybe starting a business in like South Korea and Japan might be a lot more expensive. How do I put it? Well, in terms of taxes, I don't think so. Vietnam's tax system is actually, it's not, I don't know if it's brutal, but it's certainly not like advantageous in comparison to being taxed in the United States or anywhere else in Europe. Mm -hmm. Rather, the reason a lot of companies are coming to Vietnam is because it's one of the fastest developing countries in the world. It's moving from that lesser economically developed country to a more economically developed country. And that means there are a lot of opportunities to move into the market and establish things. And the best part about Vietnam is that unlike uh, a, a large portion of other LEDC countries, which are there because of, you know, there's a lot of conflict, there are wars still going on there. Vietnam hasn't seen a war in 40 years. It's yeah. unlikely that something horrific is going to happen there. So a lot of businesses try to set up. Absolutely. And that'd be really great for the Vietnamese economy. Do you think that maybe like the surrounding countries like Cambodia, Myanmar, and then other countries in like, in like Southeast Asia, Philippines, Malaysia, um, would those countries maybe become more developed as Vietnam is developing? Uh, actually, in terms of development, we're not even the fastest growing country. That would actually be Indonesia. So in fact, I believe these guys actually might modernize before us. Well, completely modernize. They might reach more economically developed. For lack of better words, just for, they, they would reach the status of what we perceive as a first world country. Much fa- yeah. uh, faster than we would. Yeah, maybe not Myanmar. Because oh, maybe, yeah. I've, oh, that Their conflict yeah. is pretty sad. I actually wrote about Myanmar in my, in my school's journal for a little while. Because oh, really? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the main things that are going on in Southeast Asia. 
And it's a bit of a test. Being called a Southeast Asian is just a geographic term or like an actual community or culture. You wrote, you were like writing about other Southeast Asians stand for other Southeast Asians? I mean, not just that, but like, how are other Southeast Asian countries actually reacting to this? Are they pretending that nothing's going on in Myanmar as though it has no concern to them? Or is there a level of unity between these countries and they're actually trying to do something about it? It's actually interesting to see how the relationships between the Southeast Asian countries, because historically, none of these cultures or countries really properly cared about each other or interacted as much until like ASEAN was formed and all, and all of these countries started to economically, um, well, more economically interact with each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny, you brought up um, ASEAN and when I was in for Thaiman, I was Timor Leste and I was complaining about how Timor Leste wasn't like allowed into ASEAN because of like Singapore. Hey, let me into ASEAN. I mean, Timor Leste, that's in, that's closer to Australia, isn't it? It's yeah, yeah. it is, but it board, it, it does border Indonesia and well, it used yeah. to, it used to be a part of Indonesia until they gained independence in 2004. Like they have showed so much commitment to ASEAN despite being one of the lowest economies in the entire world. But they're, they're still like very committed to doing whatever they can for ASEAN. Hearing that, they do probably deserve to enter into ASEAN. Yeah, They'll but Singapore won't let them in. <laughs> Considering all, like social issues, would you say that there's like sexism or racism, homophobia? Yeah. So out of those three... I am 100% certain that racism is a much larger issue. I'm not saying that uh, issues of homophobia or uh, sexism don't exist in Vietnam. It exists in all countries, of course. Although I will say that I believe Vietnam is a bit more tolerant to that type of stuff because we don't have as large of a conservative backbone. Well, not just that, but also Vietnamese people are more timid in nature. So like, we don't express that view of conservatism as much in public. So even if there was a large like apprehension to homosexuality or feminism, there wouldn't really be that much of an outcry or it would be fairly difficult to actually see. But racism, yeah, that's a big problem because Vietnam has um, the main ethnic group there, the king, that's the ethnic group I'm part of. It makes up like 90% of the, more than 90% of the entire population in Vietnam. And it's like, and scattered around all of Vietnam's like perimeter provinces. Outer provinces are a large number of ethnic groups that are uh, that have essentially existed there since forever. And uh, the Vietnamese government, yeah, it has an extreme favoritism for the king people. And it attempts to not only uh, send our people into these lands to try to colonize it, to grow it for agricultural or economical use, but they also... Um, there have been reports that the Vietnamese government has actively marginalizing these ethnic groups and trying to keep them in an underdeveloped area. Because if you've seen like the outer provinces of Vietnam, it's more what you expect from like the Vietnam War where the Marines went. It's just a jungle there. It's very hard to find any like urban areas or properly proper infrastructure development. And so like these are these cities like are there also like coastal cities that are like this or is it mostly the cities that are inland closer to the borders with Cambodia and Laos? Yeah, it's mostly the cities. Uh, well, just the places inland. In fact, if you're on the coast, it's hot. It's uh, there's a very high chance that you're going to be in an urban area because mm-hmm. that's where. Not only most of the commerce and economics is, but that's where most of the population is. Uh, that would make sense. I feel like for most countries, like the coast is where like the majority of the population is. I mean, I can't make that generalization for most countries. So a lot of countries. Okay. okay. Who exactly are the, is the government like telling the king people to, I guess, for lack of a better term, colonize? Like, is there a specific ethnic group in Vietnam or like is it multiple ethnic groups? Yes, yeah, it's, it's multiple ethnic groups. In fact, there, uh, but there's a lot of them in, in there. Specifically, in the north, you will see like the Hmong and the Montagnards. Hmong, you've probably heard of because there's a large uh, ethnic minority of them in, uh, in the United States. But the Mont- uh, Montagnards are a little bit less known. I'm just going to call them Vietnamese people. They've been slowly migrating into those areas. And the uh, government is essentially giving them the resource to uh, populate those areas more to create more urban infrastructure and at the same time they're sort of displacing these ethnic 
groups. I I will say that I don't think it's like an active like persecution of these people, but it, it there is a, a very severe favoritism the government will show to the king ethnic group over the other ones. As for in the south, there were a number of small ethnic uh, ethnic groups like the Cham and other Cambodian people there. A large portion of those ethnic groups are are majority is, Islamic peoples. There is a level of per, uh, persecution against them, and they're being uh, actively displaced from historically held territories. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. You know, actually, there's a very good example of this because in southern Vietnam, there's a province to the very to the very west of the south. I don't remember what it's called, but historically, it was always part of Cambodia. But when the French colonized that place, they put that that specific province under the southern Vietnamese, the Koch China colonial protectorate. So when Vietnam became independent, that came with us. And the Cambodian people that, that lived there, a large number of them were driven out. And now they're a minority in their own historically owned territory. That's pretty unfortunate for the Cambodian. Do you think, is that one of the main reasons why there are tensions between Cambodia and Vietnam? In fact, that's probably the main reason. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> wow. Which region is it exactly? Like, I'm looking at a map right now, and I see, like, I'm going to definitely mispronounce these, like, Kanto? No, Kanto is in the very south. That place used to be more populated by the Cham, but no, that place is properly Vietnamese. Almost all these cities are on the coast, with the exception of like Hanoi. With Ho Chi Minh, well, Hanoi, it's uh, Hanoi is on the Red River Delta. It's a major river that passes through the north. That's the main reason it's so developed, other than being the capital, because mm-hmm. the river is large enough that it can support a large agricultural community there, which is why it always remains massive. All of the west, like the w- southwestern provinces in Vietnam. Those are historically Cambodian territories. Oh, wow. And I guess considering these situations, do you think there's a shift in perspective in young people or do young people still think these like tensions and conflicts are still valid? Uh, No, I can definitely. So the thing is with the young people in Vietnam, all of them were born in a time period well after all of the conflicts have ended. So all of these people, they were already born in a generation of peace. So they not only have nothing to do with any of these conflicts, but like mentioning them to uh, that to them is, well, it's almost completely alien. You're, they're not going to support a war they, that was started well, over the, well before they were born. Yeah. Like the main conflict that's really transcended in Vietnam into this time period is the one against China. Because, yeah, mm-hmm. China, it's largely encroaching into the South China Sea and into the Indochina region. So... Do you think like young, like the young people of Vietnam are, I guess, are they okay with this conflict occurring? For example, do you think like a youth from Vietnam meeting a youth from China, do you think they would have like a discussion about the South China Sea situation and be like, why is your country doing this to our country? Uh, Discussion? Yeah, probably. So let me answer your first question. Are you are you asking if the Vietnamese youth would be all right with a conflict with China? Yeah. Are they? Yeah. Do they think that conflict is okay? I I think that would be fairly unlikely. But that's more to do with like the culture of Vietnam rather than the actual perspectives of the young. Because after like about a hundred years of constant warfare, it's, it's at this point pointless. There is no reason for Vietnam to ever go into a war with China. Because one, it would be defensive. We're not going to attack it. And two, it's just a, it's just a cost of lives. There's actually a saying by the more older generations in Vietnam that uh, the spirits of the Vietnam War, it's dead now. Like the people who fought the, uh, the Vietnam War and were fighting for the independence, that spirit for patriotism and nationalism, it stopped existing when Vietnam ended ended all of its conflicts. Because at that point, so many people in Vietnam had died to the country had been completely wasted. The only thing people were at this point focusing on was making sure that they can survive. Yeah, just survive. God, that's actually really interesting. You brought up like patriotism and nationalism. I guess something that I just thought of, are the youth of Vietnam like proud to be Vietnamese? Are they proud of their identity um, despite this mentality of patriotism and like nationalism not really existing? It still exists, but 
not in a way where the Vietnamese people would be so ready to fight another war. It's like a patriotism of the country and of the culture itself. But to be ready to fight a war, that's a completely different form of patriotism. Yeah, no, I totally yeah. agree. Definitely, I feel like in the US, there are multiple types of patriotism. And that could be like for other countries too. Do you keep up with politics and government in Vietnam? Uh, that's quite the interesting question. Because uh, uh, I, I guess I can put it this way. I do attempt to keep up with the doing and what politics in Vietnam is looking like. But then there's the problem that the, and this is something I'm going to have to say, the Vietnamese government is not the most transparent uh, government in the world. It's a one party, it's a one party state. So elections are only on like a lower level of on a provincial level. Uh, what's, whatever is happening in the top, it happens behind closed doors and you only find out after it's all been done. Uh, even like inside of the party where you would usually see like at least factions or uh, different members of the communist party all vying for like some kind of power or something like that. What, what kind of policies they introduce. It's really hard to find any information on that. So as much as, I'm tr- as I try to stay informed about what's happening in Vietnam, there are a lot of limitations to that. Ah, uh, okay, okay. And uh, like trying to keep up with these pol- with politics due to this reason, would you say that there's like a lot of, there's like a censorship or like a pretty visible censorship at least? Yeah, it's not just visible. It's like, it's omnipresent almost, yeah. I was going to make a comparison that it's not as censored as you would think it is, like if you're imagining China and what, what China would do to censor their news or what they're capable of doing to censor their news, Vietnam is marginally more laxed than that. It's not as bad, but it's certainly there. Yes. Okay, okay. Could you like maybe elaborate a little more on like not as laxed, like the like the government? So the government is willing to take, I guess, more like active or passive criticism than what the Chinese government would be willing to take. But otherwise, they still have the same methods of actually cracking down because they monitor social media, what kind of news is going through that. They've arrested people for speaking out against the government and whatnot. Vietnam actually has this unique thing where you don't actually necessarily have to be a part of the Communist Party to be a part of the government. The Vietnamese... uh, Politics allows for independent candidates to run inside of, uh, well, at least to serve inside of the Vietnamese government. But oh, um, wow. these people, it's like, even though it's a, you're legally allowed to be there, the government still tries to crack down on these independent candidates. And uh, usually they only let like people with similar beliefs to the Communist Party to go into the ind- uh, independent section and actually be part of the government. Like actual uh, like dissidents and opposition members of Vietnamese society, they're not allowed, they're not going to be uh, found anywhere near the top of the government. On this topic, this might sound like a stupid question, but are, are politicians of like individual political parties, are they able to run for president? In Vietnam, are they not really allowed to? As it's mostly a one-party state. Yeah, it's a one-party state. There's legally only one party. Well, so the this is going to be into the bureaucracy of Vietnam, but we have this thing referred to as the Fatherland Front. It's a coalition of uh, Vietnamese parties that work to form the government. It's a leftover of the Viet Minh, the nationalist force that fought the French. Mainly, yeah, it's just Vietnamese Communist Party members that are going to be found in government. As a Communist Party member of Vietnam, there are actual uh, internal elections to see who actually goes into what position. But it's not the population really voting on them, especially in in the higher sections of the government, like the National Assembly or the Central Committee. It's less of a voting system and more of a... It's like a person to person type of thing. Like mm. a, you're going up into you're going up into this position because I know you, I've seen what kind of work you do, and I think you would be a decent match for this type of job. You can think of it more you can think of getting promoted in Vietnamese governance or politics. It's more similar to how a person would be promoted in a corporation rather mm. than like in a proper government. So does the government choose by itself like who should be president or do the people actually vote? Yeah, they choose themselves. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Or at least like the former general secretary, that's the essentially the presidential figure in Vietnam. They choose the next leader. Yeah. Mm, okay, okay. And 
has, do you think that that's wrong? Do you think the people should be able to decide on who should be the next political leader? I want to see how I word this so I don't get like censored. Yeah, I having no say in a government, that's uh, that's not something I can support, especially having gone through a Western American style education. Any form of democracy would be better than what Vietnam has. Now, I the, the thing is that putting a democracy into Vietnam, even though I would support it, there is like, um, I would say that it would be a bit too hasty to start it now, lest we end up like the Soviet Union where it collapsed. The thing is, most people are do actually kind of support the Communist Party of Vietnam because it's similar to uh, to the legitimacy of the Chinese Communist Party. As long as Vietnam's economy is still growing, we don't see a reason to not keep you in power. So as long as you guys are being competent, uh, we can tolerate the unabashed authoritarianism, essentially. Yeah. But uh, I think at some point that Vietnam should at least try to make its government more transparent and have more participation from the lower parts of its society. That's a 100%. That has to happen. And to the credit of the Vietnamese administration, they haven't tried to... um, they haven't broken their own rules yet. So they're still trying to keep some level of balance between itself. So, I mean, that's a good thing, but there are definitely things that can be done better. For sure. And I feel like there's definitely things that many countries can do better. And I mean, I, I don't really have a say since I'm not Vietnamese, but I think if the government did give the people a little bit more say, just a little bit, you know, who knows how how big of an impact that might be positively yeah well yeah i feel like but my personal opinion is that before we are given a say i feel like i believe that the government should first become more transparent so that we actually Mm -hmm. understand what's going on what what type of policies are the communist party is already going for and what kind of people are already dead because other than like the main central committee members and like actual ministers that have a public face in vietnam the actual administration's like largely put in shadow. It's very hard to find any information on them. Yeah. Wow. And there's always like a corruption scam and there are always members of the government or the Communist Party just getting kicked out. Okay, so I guess I'll go on to these last few questions and then we'll talk about like Vietnamese food, which oh my god. Vietnamese oh, food that's might be, be so much easier to oh talk my, about. It's so but it's so good and like it's so fun. All right. So next question. Do you have a lot of friends from different countries or have you met a lot of people from different countries? Uh actually the majority of my friends are non-Vietnamese. Again, lived in the Russian Federation for most of my life and I've attended an international school for entirety. In terms of Vietnamese friends, yeah, there's still a large portion of them because I still have to have interactions and relationships with the Vietnamese community here in Russia. Otherwise, I'd feel very alone here. But yeah, a, a large portion of my friends are from international backgrounds. I have friends from South Korea, from China, all over Europe, from Russia, from the United States, from South America as well. And I guess me- meeting these people from different countries, do you see more similarities or differences? Let's see. Uh, I guess it depends on specifically who we're talking about. Among my Chinese and South Korean friends, I have found an unnatural amount that like we actually agree on, agree on, like have similar lifestyles. So, I mean, like, I don't mean to perpetuate stereotypes, but if you are, if you are from an East Asian region or from like a Sinosphere country, like China, South Korea, Japan, or Vietnam, there, there are going to be a lot of things very similar about living in those countries. So, you know, people who overwork themselves, very, very dedicated to like schoolwork, similar mindsets and similar ways of life, if you will. Yeah. Of all, even then, like, okay, outside of this like cultural circle of similar, of similarly type people, among Europeans, Russians, South Americans, North Americans, in terms of lifestyle, it's actually quite similar in the way we all live. Yeah. I mean, of course, a lot of the stuff that's uh, that's common between people, like some of the more basic things, you do. so you know the way some people prefer to have fun, the, how people work, reasons they work. Yeah, definitely. a lot of cultural practices are also very similar. Part probably because uh, a lot of the ethical and like moral systems around the world are also just very similar. Yeah, very cool. I guess like what's an example like that's showing that they're very similar. If you can think of one, at least. Like, let's take an American friend of mine. I don't think there's anything I would be able to think of that would be morally or morally incorrect or morally correct that he would have a dispute with me about. 
Like if mm-hmm. I were to state something to be on a moral or ethical level, there's usually some level or if not a lot of agreement between the two sides. I won't see like like extreme discourse on the topic of morality and whatnot. Same thing with like um, what you would consider to be like tradition or like a, a family structure and whatnot. Typically there's, a, uh, typically, there's a lot of very similar things that people would experience inside of a family growing up in a specific place and whatnot. I know you don't live in Vietnam. However, when the times that you've been there, do you see young people advocating for peace and less conflict? Have you seen like young people going out and protesting for co- different causes? Protesting, no. <laughs> Because again, it's very hard to get away with Vietnam without uh, there being a fairly hostile reaction from the government. But in terms of peace and like just the general climate of interaction, you know, on social media and whatnot, I'm pretty sure most people in Vietnam would like to maintain this 40 years of peace that we've so far had. Because this has generally been our most prosperous time. This is the best time to be alive as a Vietnamese person in all of history. There's really, uh, there's no reason for any... Uh, for anyone to think that it would be better off that we go fight somewhere. That's actually amazing how there's this period of like prosperity and tranquility right now, like in Vietnam. I find that amazing. And you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but so I was actually Vietnam for an MUN conference in the Security Council. And something that I brought up was the national motto, independence, peace, and happiness. Peace and happiness. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and when you're talking about like this, about like peace in Vietnam, I'm, I just realized, oh my God, your guys' motto is literally in independence, peace and happiness. I mean, yeah. And we have to keep it that way because if there's ever going to be another war, it's going to be another Vietnam war or Indochina war. That level of suffering, that level of impoverishness, that's not something anyone's willing to experience again. Yeah, no, I I don't think anyone would want to experience that if they've already experienced something. Right, but for like any reason, like it's very hard to justify another war now. Yeah, Absolutely. No, I agree. I'm like, no war. I hate war. Yeah, yeah. How can young people help spread awareness to advocate for peace in Vietnam? I would personally say maybe like be aware. How do I put this? It's like be aware of, I guess, the, just the geopolitics of Vietnam and, and the significance of the Vietnamese region in Southeast Asia, because we're right on the South China Sea. That's one of the most trafficked commercial uh, trade lines in the entire world. Right. And so like whenever anyone thinks or like gets the idea that some that this like a conflict in South China Sea, like a boat, like a Chinese boat ramming into a, a Vietnamese civilian ship, all whatnot is like a personal historical type thing between China and Vietnam. I think it's uh, worth remembering and having people spread the idea that this is all just temporary, short term, like political things that are happening between our countries that we should always stay level headed so that this prosperity, this peace that is and this independence that's that we've gained like only 70 years ago remains that way. That's actually a really interesting mentality to have to think that like, oh, this geopolitical conflict is only temporary that like that you were talking about. I'm actually that's like no one's ever brought that up well, in an interview. This is actually more of my own personal view. I think it has some level of roots in the way the Vietnamese think, because um, and this is specifically on our relationship with China, because Vietnam, before it was a French colony, it was a largely a colony of China. But it's more like you're, you're from the U.S. So before the U.S. declared independence, how long were you guys a British colony? Um, well, we declared independence in 1776. And there was the... Well, there was the Revolutionary War in the late 1700s. All right. So let's take the 13 colonies then that were established. From what I know, there are supposed to be a large number of ethnicities that made up this, this entire place. There were Irish people that uh, came in in the north and the New England area. A lot of yeah. British people coming in, German, Scottish people, right? They're yeah, all kind a... of different, but they all eventually assimilated into some t- something similar to the British culture of the mainland or the main island. Mm-hmm. Right. Imagine what it would have been like, but it was a thousand years. That's almost that like was Vietnam. Five, 
Yeah, that was Vietnam. Because uh, before Vietnam was even a proper, like, independent country, we were essentially just another province inside of the inside of the Chinese empire. And this means that we have a very long history of them. Uh, a lot of heated warfare between the Chinese when we we're trying to declare independence. Sometimes it's a very long state of peace where we're in constant trade with the with a Chinese dynasty. We've even at times hosted uh, Chinese noblemen and imperial officials, such as during the 13th century when the Mongol when the Mongolians were invading. Mm-hmm. And so, after all of this 1,000 years, I believe the conclusion that mo- m- many people in Vietnam have come to is that no matter what's happening now, it's going to be completely different by the time we're all dead. So there's no use like caring about any like this geopolitical strife that's going on. Just try to make sure that the life here right now is going fine. Absolutely. Right? Living yeah. in the present. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So now, do you know what question's next? Cuisine? Yes. Please. Okay. All right. Thank God. I, I was I was getting like stressed talking about this. <laughs> Come on, let's let's go to cuisine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. What are the most popular dishes in Vietnam, or like, what is the national dish if there is one? National d- dish. Now, here's the thing. I believe it's ph- uh, pho ba. So that's the the rice ramen with uh, beef in it. But uh, after nice. thinking about it a little bit longer, I there's a real chance that I could be wrong. So I I, I was partially correct. It's not actually pho ba, but just pho in general. So pho ba, it sounds like that's beef pho, and like ba means beef in Vietnamese. Yeah, yeah. So pho, that's just like that's just Vietnamese for noodles. Yeah, the name of the rice noodles that we have. <laughs> And then ba, that is uh, that's cow, that's uh, beef essentially. We also gotcha. have pho gai, that's um, that's chicken? the rice noodles with chicken. Yeah, you know okay. your stuff. There's the pho, and there's a yeah. pho ba and pho, pho ba and pho gai. Right? Pho ba yeah. and pho, yeah. pho gai. Yeah, but that's mainly just the rice noodles. The other one that a lot of people know is called uh, bun jia. That's um, it, it's very similar because um, bun the that word. That is specifically the rice noodle that is used in the pho. The pho, the pho is it's more of the soup itself. So the soup and the rice noodles combined with it. So bun cha, that's like um, that's that's the rice noodles and like um, yeah, I think it was like grilled beef. Yeah, grilled beef. Okay, okay. Like bun cha, like are they thicker noodles? Or are they the same type? Are they like a similar type of noodle from like the pho noodles? Or how similar are they? Oh, wait, nope, I was wrong. It is not beef, it's pork. Okay, but oh. the boon itself, no, they're the same, yeah. They're the same okay. type of noodles. So like, it seems like just from these two dishes, I mean, I can't. I don't know if I should generalize all of Vietnamese cuisine just from hearing two dishes, but it seems like there are a lot of noodle dishes in Vietnamese cuisine. Or would you not say, would you say that's false? Actually, it's just those two. I mean, they're the main ones and a lot of people eat them, but uh, in comparison to some of the other stuff that we also eat, it's mainly just uh, these two, yeah, bun cha and pho that okay, have okay. Uh, these noodles. And I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty sure that's because the rice noodles themselves, they're pretty hard to make. I mean, not anymore, but back then it was very hard to make these type of noodles. So it wasn't very, very common back then uh, inside of Vietnamese culinary, or at least like uh, the average Vietnamese person back then probably didn't eat these two types of foods as much it was only when the french came in and more modernized techniques of actually creating these foods started to go into practice that uh bun and uh pho started to become more common commonly eaten you know i was okay so th- there's this series that that Conde Nast has like a YouTube series. They had a couple episodes of it and I loved it, but there was 70 people from 70 countries and there was someone from Vietnam. And in one of the episodes was talking about stereotypes and the Viet- and the Vietnamese person said, we don't eat pho all the time. It's only for breakfast. Is that true? I mean, not, how do I put this? But like, is he, it mostly? He is correct in saying that, in saying that, yeah, we don't eat pho all the time. But yeah, usually you only eat the soups. Yeah, because it's the soup. You know, yeah, I, I know very few people who would be happy with like a soup for like a lunch or a dinner. You usually eat something else, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've eaten pho for dinner, and let me tell you, I love, I love. I mean, pho. I mean, I love of pho. course you can, but like typically you would have the soup in the beginning of the day before going into, and then just take other dishes. 
Yeah. Mainly because the soups themselves, they're like very high on calories. So you want to eat a lot more in the beginning of the day than later into the night. You want something a little bit smaller. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, now, what exactly is your favorite Vietnamese dish? It's the spring rolls. We call them nem. It's the fried spring rolls. Yeah. Fried spring rolls. Yeah. What, are they, what are they called in Vietnamese? Nem. Oh, nem. Yeah. Okay. N-E-M. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And what are they typically filled with? Can they be filled with anything or is it mostly like shrimp or egg? It's mostly made up of, so there's the wrapping, a bit of rice in there. There's usually some type of like, like a small amount of meat in there. So that's a bit tasty. And um, like a couple like sprinklings of other types of vegetables and like maybe a smaller version of the boom, the rice noodles can sometimes be found in there. Yeah, usually can make it up of any type because the thing about the men is that um, like most families have a different way to make. It's like the type of traditional food that most families have their own like lineage of like <laughs> of creating, right? It's more of a traditional Oh, that's eternal family thing. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's so funny because like one of my next questions, it's not the next one, but the one after um, is, do you have any family recipes or variations of popular dishes? Meaning, does your family make any dishes differently than other families in Vietnam? <laughs> well, uh, mainly it's the spring roll. Well, it's not too different, but we have our own variations, the spring rolls. And then, of course, there's the fried rice because everyone usually has their own like recipe of how, how to create fried rice. You brought up like fried rice and there's this stereotype that's like, you know, rice is life for East Asians and like Southeast Asians. How many dishes actually have rice in them? Okay, how do I put this? Most dishes themselves don't actually have rice with them. But that's because most people just have rice in a bowl and they just take and eat it, eat it separately with the stuff at the same time. The way Vietnamese people eat, it's a, it's a bit unique because we don't have everything all in like one plate. There's usually multiple of them. And that's because uh, what people do, some traditional Vietnamese families do, my family mate also does this is that they just put all of the food in the center of the table where we have this like contraption that just spins around. Oh, a lazy and you Susan? Can, I don't know. What the, what, okay, what so basically that? a lazy Susan is like a thing. It's like a very, very flat thing that's like this. And then you can spin it, meaning like allowing the food to go to like the other side of the table without you having to pass the dishes. Yeah, it's a lazy Susan. Yeah, it's essentially a lazy <laughs> Susan. But everything, all the food is there. And we just have like one bowl filled with rice in it. And then you just take anything from it. And of course, if you're in a restaurant, they go by the dish by dish system. Right. Gotcha. You know, yeah. for sure. Definitely. So even though most dishes will not have rice in them, you're always going to have rice on you in a mm. Vietnamese food as a part of Vietnamese food. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, you, when you brought up like all the food being on like one table and like you pass it around and stuff, it makes me feel like that, like Vietnamese culture is very community oriented or at least or, like even family oriented Um, as like, like the family comes together to sit down at together at the table and like everyone's like sharing the food and stuff like here can you pass me the rice can you pass me the nam can you pass me the i don't know <laughs> but like would you agree with that like it's like vietnamese culture is family oriented i mean yeah i i was going to say this uh the one thing that surprised me the most about vietnamese cuisine and just how vietnamese people eat is that they usually don't have like a concept of portions you just have your bowl and then take whatever you need because uh, typically when there's like a family, when like the entire family is eating, they just make as much as possible or like whatever we have in the fridge and whatnot. Just put it all into the same table and then take as much as, as you want throughout the entire meal. And then when that's all done and everyone's left, just keep whatever's left and then keep on eating tomorrow. Ah, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, that actually that sounds very similar to like my to like my family in a way, in a way, because like, like everyone will take leftovers like from whatever the dinner was, and then we'll use them and cook them again, or even make new dishes. Yeah, I mean, again, that's uh, another thing that interculturally some people seem to do. A lot. Definitely. Do you have like a dish or family recipe that gives you good memories? There's one called uh, I think it's. I don't know what that's um, specifically translated into English. 
it's like um it's a way we cook the uh, our pork a direct translation into english is just caramelized pork and eggs that's a thing we vietnamese do it's one of my favorite dishes maybe not as much as like the bun cha and the pho but uh, specifically those and the way my uh, family makes them uh i remember i just mainly remember eating them a lot when i was like a lot younger so every time i eat it now it just brings back a lot of fond memories from like that's, back then yeah that's really cool i got a picture of like the pork and eggs it seems like it there's like a lot of eggs in it so like yeah do you how many eggs would be in a portion of this like would it just be one or like three uh well definitely not one or three because the thing is we used to like this really small type of egg i don't even know what it's called it's like a oh like it, quail it, egg yeah it's like a quail egg and there's usually going to be like going back to the way we, we vietnamese eat where we have this large serving just each person takes like whatever portion they want well i on average would take at least like six or seven of those eggs oh, wow And there's usually a lot more because, well, I mainly like eating those eggs along the meat. Are they typically like hard boiled eggs or are they like thrown in last minute? So like they have like the yolk is like a little runny still. Oh, no, it's usually hard boiled. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and then do you eat this with noodles or do you eat this with rice by itself? So this is mainly eaten with rice, yeah. So it's the okay. it's the caramelized pork, the little the little eggs, and then just the rice below it. Yeah. Mm, okay. There's usually also like this sauce that's on top. That's usually on top of the caramelized pork. It usually drips down into the rice and gives it a bit of a new flavor. Oh, so that's nice. the main entire thing with it. Yeah. What exactly is that sauce? Is it spicy, sweet? It's like a leftover of like the caramelization of the pork. Oh my god. Right? Yeah. Dude, I haven't even eaten breakfast yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so obviously just from hearing this dish and like how peaceful Vietnam actually is, I'm definitely going to be going there soon. Um, but what is a dish from Vietnam that like when I travel there like I have to try like regardless like it's it's a must. Okay, this is a really small well, one. I don't want to sound like I'm boasting, but you just try as much as you can. Of course, of course. Yeah, of course. But uh this one is specifically for like when you're traveling between places, if you're going to go to a lot of places in Vietnam. There's this thing called the bánh bao. It's like a like a little pastry. It's just like a little pastry. Not really a pastry. What am I saying? It looks very similar to like a very large burger patty, but it's like white. And on the inside, there's like a lot, it's like a lot of meat, eggs, sometimes some vegetables, a little bit of the, a little bit of the bun, and it's like, and it's really sweet. It's really good. It's really tasty to eat. Yeah, bánh bao. Bánh bao. Right, yeah. Okay. And like, I'm trying to find a picture of it. Oh, the oh, duh, well, duh. I should have known from bao. Like, it's like like a steamed yeah. bun. It's yeah, it's a steamed bun. Yeah. Yeah. It, oh my god, I love because yeah, steamed buns. Because the thing is, the way they're made in Vietnam, it's like it's almost perfect. Like I've tried the ones here in Russia, and when I was in the U.S. and New York, I tried the ones there. I mean, it's still good, but the way they make it in Vietnam is just unique. It's like almost perfectly well made. So you have to try it in the in the proper native Vietnamese style. I think it's more that because the Vietnamese there have just done it like so many times, it's almost like uh, it's been naturally created, right? It's like it's like an it's almost natural how. How they create the stuff there? Oh, and in general, I think that like um, the way they make it in Vietnam is just a bit sweeter than it. it like takes it, it tastes sweeter than what you would usually find in in like an, another country serving Vietnamese food. Something you have to try. Basically everything, but specifically the bambao. Yeah, it's mainly that because I don't think I have to tell you to at least try like any of the noodles like pho or yeah. uh, cha because i mean that's probably what you <laughs> that's one thing you're definitely going to be doing there anyway oh oh my god i completely forgot about this one banh mi i love banh mi banh mi uh, wait isn't the, that just bread and i no, i thought it was a sandwich yeah yeah it is wait hold on it's like um oh i see yeah that oh, okay well that is good yeah that that's that's also good i actually tried it for the first time when i was in vietnam because my parents here they didn't make it themselves so i had to go to actually vietnam to try it it was pretty Gosh. good yeah when you said by me I, i was just thinking what you just want vietnamese bread because that's also what bread is in, oh uh, really in vietnamese yeah <laughs>
no 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 i mean i know that like there's like six different tones in like vietnamese so like if like i don't know if i got the like one there one are five. Oh shoot my bad there's not six <laughs> i mean but you were close <laughs> more than more than one tone like i didn't know like if i said it wrong or like if i said it in a different tone it would mean something completely different no no so, no yeah. you said it completely correct it's just that uh and this is a one gripe i have with vietnamese a lot of the words are really similar and like can be used in multiple contexts. So for example, by me, it can mean bread and sandwich simultaneously. So you have to know the context. That's hilarious, actually. Yeah. What does food mean for Vietnamese culture? Like, would you say that food is important to Vietnam? I mean, where is food not important? But <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, an exp- it's like one of the main expressions of our culture. And that's the main expression that most people know about. So we kind of treasure it more than usual now because that's like the one thing that uh, you can easily name about Vietnamese culture. You might not know like the specific things about our language. You might not know specific things about their history. But when you mention Vietnamese culture, the food is immediate, is like probably the first thing that comes up to you other than maybe the Vietnam War. No, the first thing that comes to yeah. mind is literally like pho. Yeah, it's just, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I, I'm not going to lie. That's better than being known for a war. That's, yeah, no, so, that's true. That's yeah. true. And oh my God, I, I can't believe I, I also wanted to bring this up, but I just forgot. Vietnamese coffee. How, ah, what, do you, what are your thoughts on Vietnamese coffee? You know, I would tell you something, but I have, I, I have a confession to make. Okay. I, for the first time, learned of Vietnamese coffee like a month ago when I was actually dead. What? So, uh, you you might actually know about it more than me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just know about it because I watched a YouTube video about this this one traveler trying to see how much he could get with $100 in in mm. Vietnam and he got like a coffee for like less than I don't know how many like dong is it? Like the currency. Yeah, the dong. The dong. I don't know yeah. how many how many dong he paid for the coffee, but like with it one dollar. It was oh like less God, than yeah. 1 US dollar or something yeah but like the co- i've heard like really good things about vietnamese coffee and like with the condensed milk and stuff oh it's so good oh yeah oh well the condensed milk i've never heard of because i only really? drank it with normal well yeah because i only drank it with normal milk when i was in vietnam although now i think of condensed milk i can see why that would be really good because the taste of the coffee being themselves in vietnam it's a, it's really di- it's a bit different to how you would find cacao in like the caribbean or other places right yeah yeah so um i think the taste itself of the vietnamese coffee it's like oh man how do i put this it's more citrusy for lack of better like or like acidic yeah that's a it's different in a way where putting something sweet into the coffee would act would severely improve the way it Mm. tastes so last question about food what dish makes you feel at home I mean, I know you never really lived in Vietnam and like you've lived in Russia for most of your life, but like, what's a dish that gives you like a sense of home? Of Vietnam? Well, do you consider Vietnam to be your home or is Russia your home? You know, if you asked this question maybe two or three months ago, I would have said Russia. Now that I've been in Vietnam for a little while, I was surprised by how quickly I managed to adapt to Vietnamese culture and whatnot. So now I'm not so sure. Like, I still feel at home here in Russia. But I think if uh, I were to live in Vietnam for a little bit longer, yeah, I would consider Vietnam my home. No doubt about it. Yeah. Well, are you a Russian citizen? No, I'm a Vietnamese citizen. Yeah. So, but okay, wait. So back to the question. question the food, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Again, the the caramelized pork, that, yeah. that probably made me feel the home at most. Because the thing with the pho... And the bun cha, even though those are definitely traditional Vietnamese dishes, I don't know the fact that they're like sold everywhere sort of made them feel more of an international dish. It's like so many, so many people have tried it at this point. That doesn't really feel as unique to Vietnam, even though, even though it's it's still a Vietnamese dish. So the stuff that hasn't been tried as much, like the like this, like the specific Vietnamese uh, caramelized pork, that brings me home to that makes me feel like. Uh, home in vietnam again but i'm not going to lie it's actually not the food Uh, there's actually another sensation i've had that's more uh that feels more homey for me in vietnam and what is that it's like uh, what mediterranean countries have you been to but like i've been to italy i've been to france i've been to spain i've been to uh monaco so in those countries have you noticed that like the interior of those buildings they have like a specific unique smell that you won't 
like you if you will. Yes. And the smell of those buildings, that is what reminds me here of Vietnam now. That's what I immediately think of. Okay, okay. Right? But my grandparents do actually live in those types of buildings. So the smell is still the same. Yeah. Nice, nice. Where do you recommend someone to go? Like, let's say somebody's going to go to Vietnam. Where would you recommend that person to go? There are actually multiple places I would give because the thing is Vietnam can be divided into three separate regions. There's the Northern Vietnam, Southern Vietnam, and then we have Central Vietnam. And they all have like, they all typically have something, you know, very interesting to see there. Firstly, I'd probably just recommend at least going to Saigon or Hanoi at least once to see to get like the modern feel of Vietnam for a while, and then from there you go into the more like uh, the the more nature type areas in Vietnam, the more geographic areas. Main ones I can list are like Hoa Long. It's the it's the bay a little bit east of Hanoi. It has the only Vietnamese UNESCO site, the little mountains over the wall. Yeah. Hoa Long Bay. I, okay. Hoa Long Bay. Yeah. Wow, I've seen so many amazing pictures of that place. Although, I guess a question for you is like, do you feel like it's become too touristy? Like, is it still worth going uh, despite how touristy it's become? I mean, okay, wait, it's definitely very touristy, but I would still go there because, um, I mean, it's still a comfortable place to be at and it's still a nice location. Yeah, sure. There, the UNESCO site is a little bit over toured, but at the same time, there's like, a couple more things you can do that if you just want to be at like a beach or something like that while long works and also due to its touristy nature the city is a lot more developed than it should be so um uh, that's one major thing uh, another thing is um it's also another northern thing because i know i know more about the uh northern touristy areas of vietnam than i do about the southern and then this uh personal of mine but there's also the chiu tam chu it's a buddhist uh, monastery in to the north of hanoi yeah oh wait is that the place with like the hands that's also to the north of wait the hands yeah because like thing, it's like right? yes yes i've always wanted to go there like like you know the, the, I, the uh, hands like holding up the bridge it looks so freaking cool that's actually in central vietnam I think it's next to this uh, little, this like a little castle on top of the mountain, and then there's the hands. Yeah, it shows off to the uh, rest of the mountain. That place is also pretty cool. No, Tam Chuk is something else. It's a, I'm pretty sure it's the largest the Buddhist monastery in all of Vietnam. Basically, I should just go everywhere. When you said Hanoi, you referred to it as Saigon, and then you also said. Ho Chi Minh? I refer to Ho Chi Minh City as Saigon, because that's what we know it as locally. Anyway, after the Vietnam War and after the first uh, general secretary died, Ho Chi Minh, we just renamed the city Ho Chi Minh City and it's on time for Ho Chi Minh. But locally, we still refer to it as Saigon every now and then because Ho Chi Minh City is a bit of a mouthful. Yeah. And two, I mean, we, we've called it that for generations. No point of changing it. Yeah. So yeah, we know sure. of it as Ho Chi so we interchangeably called uh, Ho Chi Minh City, Saigon, whatever is more comfortable at the time. Uh, Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City is actually the largest city in all of Vietnam. Oh, really? Yeah. More than, yeah. larger than Hanoi? In fact, by quite the margin, actually, yeah. Oh, because wow. uh, summer Vietnam, it's in a larger river area, the Mekong Delta. Uh, yeah. Economically, it's on a better trade lane because it's close. It's an actual port city. It's closer to the South China Sea. And yeah, just in general, it's also like further away from the Chinese border. So more oh, yeah, well, because it's in the yeah. south. Okay. Isn't? I mean I mean, yeah, it's in the south, but again, you have to remember the southern Vietnam is also the more populated part. That's why Vietnam was split that way during after the independence war. Because South yeah, Vietnam yeah, had yeah. a larger population. Yeah. I just looked I just looked up Ho Chi Minh and like I searched it up and then it showed up Ho Chi Minh like the person like is he apparently he was like the former president of northern of north vietnam is that true yeah that's correct so he's that, the he's the main revolutionary hero that's remembered in vietnam yeah so last question is a bit more of a scenario actually so i want you to imagine that you meet someone that knows nothing about vietnam and didn't know that it even existed if you could tell this person one thing about vietnam what would you tell them I guess I can say this. Listen, if you ever read up on our history, don't judge us for that. We're still we're fairly decent people. Come by sometime. Love it. That's awesome. I think like 
learning about the history is good. It's very good, actually. But I don't think that it's right for people to, you know, generalize just from reading history that happened in the past. Past is the past. And sometimes people just want to move forward. It's a very right. good thing to leave this interview off. Yeah, again. exactly. I was just thinking this was yeah. <laughs> like, that's exactly Perfect. what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for doing this interview. It was so fun. Thank you for having me here, Evan. Yeah, of course. So how do you say like, thank you in Vietnamese? Like, how do you say thank you for your time? Or like, thank you for doing this? Well, thank you would be just common for your time. It would be which means, yeah, it's like, uh, thank you for your time. Or like, yeah. Ba Zhang Tuizan. Kamun Cho Tuizan. God, that, that, it, I, it, I it might, grammatically, it might not be too correct. Yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll I think it. maybe yeah. just stick to Kamun. Yeah, just stick to Kamun. Yeah. yeah. Just well, be thank you. Yeah. It's more enough. Yeah. Kamun for doing this. Thank you for listening to my Global Youth Perspective podcast. My goal is to share insight into the lives and cultures of my friends around the world, and hopefully we can listen to each other, bridge our differences, and make this world a better place.